That's good, eh? He's definitely been doing something in us over the last couple of weeks. He's, he's really been, he's been doing something. Every time I speak to guys in the week, they're like, yes, God's doing something, eh? God's doing something. I was like, yeah, he is. <laughs> he really is. So I want to encourage us. Like, we'd be expecting people, eh? We've been expecting people. So this morning, we're we going to break bread together. And I, I felt like the Lord laid a scripture on my heart. And I just have not been able to get it out of my head. Like, for almost two weeks, I've been meditating on this and just thinking about this. And I think the Lord's speaking to us through this. And, um, and actually, are we going to break bread together? And we're going to just remember it. Because he says, as often as you come together, break bread and remember me. But I'll maybe just before we go there, I want to talk about maybe a few things. And then I want to speak mostly out of John 6. Um, and I'm going, to sh- I'm going to tell the story mostly because if we have to read all the scripture, you'll get, probably get a lot bit lost in it. But most of you guys know the story about Jesus and him feeding the 5,000. Am I right? I mean, even if, you've, even if you've never been to church before in your life, I'm sure you've probably heard that story. <laughs> it's one of the well-known stories in the Bible. And it, and it goes really like this. Is, um, Jesus is, he actually tries to get away from the crowds because uh, I think they, they were quite tired and he runs into them all again. They kind of find him and he, he has compassion on them. And um, he carries on teaching them and it gets late in the afternoon and um, he looks to, I think he looks to Philip and he says to him, how are we going to feed all of these people? There were 5,000, actually there were 5,000 men. Because in those days they only, they only counted men. So I mean this is excluding women and children. So, I mean there's a lot of people there. It could have been easy 10,000 people. I mean there's like 50 people here. Can you imagine what 10,000 people are like? It's a lot of people. Huh? And um, Jesus says, how are we going to feed them? And um, Philip doesn't know. <laughs> he says, like, I don't know. 200, I think he says, like, 200 denarii is not going to cover, it's not going to be enough for, for, for all of these people. And, and God, Jesus did it there, actually, it says that he did this to test him. In the, other, in the other Gospels, he says to them, you feed them. And again, I think he says it in Mark, and I think he says in Luke, he says, you feed them. And there's something, there's something interesting there that we maybe might come back to, but I just want you to remember that. There's, a, there's actually an instruction to his disciples to feed them. But let's move on a little bit with the story. We'll come back to that. So they got five loaves and two fishes. All heard of that story. Little boy brings the five loaves and two fishes. Jesus breaks the bread and they feed everyone. Everyone. And they collect... Out of the, over, the abundance of, of their, their meal together, they collect 12 baskets, 12 big baskets, which is, I mean, it's more than what they initially had. And, um, I mean, that's quite, a, that's quite a miraculous thing that's just happened there. I don't know if you guys agree with, agree with me. If I had one McDonald's meal here, <laughs> a bad example, one Kawhi wrap, we're in Cape, we're in Cape Town. <laughs> and I said, guys, we're going to eat. And we ate, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate. And there were 12 kawaii wraps left over. It'd <laughs> be like, what? It'd be quite bizarre, right? It's like, they witnessed something. They witnessed a genuine miracle. And uh, anyway, so Jesus they feeds them, and he withdraws, and he goes up the mountain. 
and to go and pray. But he says to his disciples, he says to the 12, get in the boat, I'll meet you in Capernaum. So they hop on the boat and they start rowing. And the wind comes up, I've been there. It's a valley, the Sea of Galilee, there's a, there's, it's kind of in a valley and the wind comes through there and it just blows, it can blow. And I'm somebody who likes being on the ocean and I know what the wind can do to the water, really it turns it up. And I've been on those little boats, it would be quite terrifying. Anyway, so these 12 apostles are rowing their little boat into the wind and they're not getting anywhere. And it becomes, I think it sounds like they rode all night, <laughs> these poor guys. Anyway, so Jesus sees them in the morning, comes down, and you can see they're not far off. And he actually comes to them walking on the water. And that's another part of one of the famous stories in the Bible we know, but I'm still, that's not really what I want to get at you. But just a crazy miracle happens there. Jesus comes walking to them onto the water, he gets into the boat, and, and they immediately buy where they want to go. Anyway, as they arrive in Capernaum, now all the 5,000 men plus women and children that he's left behind are looking for him. They want him. They're, like, they're following Jesus. So a whole bunch of boats apparently come, and a lot of fishing boats in that area, they come there, and they obviously somehow hitch a ride, and they go to Capernaum, and they're looking for Jesus. And they find Jesus. And they ask him, how did you get here? Like, we didn't see you leave. Like, so now it's interesting. This is where it gets interesting for me. Because Jesus answers them, but not in a way what they're expecting. He doesn't even answer the question, actually. They're like, how did you get here, Lord? And he says this to them. He says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that endures eternal life. And there's something of, I think we do this as people as well. I mean, I think we're blinded a lot of the time. We go looking for something that perishes. And I think we approach Jesus and we come because we, we want our bellies to be full. You understand? There's something here. There's, there's a so my question is, how often do we come to the Lord? Like maybe make it personal to us. How often do we come to the Lord seeking the food that He's just fed us with? Or seeking an answer to a problem? Or and, and I'm not saying this is not good. We do need to come to the Lord and give Him our, our things. But is that all that, is that, all, that we motiva- that all that motivates us? Is all the, the only reason we come into the Lord because we need a job? or our marriage is struggling, or we actually desire a partner, or we've got physical ailments and we want healing. And these are good things because God does provide, He does heal, but is that our motive? Because those are very temporal things. Those are very now things. Those are very bellyful now type of stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's very much like, hey, we've just been fed, and they come looking for the food. They don't come looking, and this is, I love this, because this is where Jesus starts to, he gets a bit cryptic with them. But he's pointing them beyond the now, the here and the now. He's pointing them into eternity, actually. And um, this very answer can be quite offensive, actually. And this is quite interesting for me, because it actually leads to them becoming very offended 
actually so much so that some of them leave him. So they ask him, what do we need to do? And he says, you need to believe in me. So they ask him for a sign. Ah, this is quite cheeky, actually. I mean, just they've just witnessed this incredible miracle. Okay? And now they're asking for a sign because he's saying you need to believe in the, the one that has been sent by the Father. That's him. He said, you need to believe in me. And they say, okay, show us a sign because Moses gave us food from heaven. The manna that they ate was manna from heaven. Moses gave us, and Jesus says to them, Moses didn't give you the food from heaven. My Father in heaven gives you the true bread of life. I am the bread of life. And now this is, I think at this point he's lost them. I think they're tweaking out, going, what is this I talking about? Like, and I get it, it's cryptic, but he's, he's, he's quite gracious actually, because he does explain, he does actually explain to them later what he's saying, but he starts off going, your, your fathers ate manna in the desert and they died. I want to give you a bread of life, a bread of life that we're going to actually eat later, that gives you more than just your full now, it gives you eternity. And there's something of that communion, of that taking, of that eating of Jesus. And now they, now they gain, they're looking at this with very temporal eyes, very physical eyes, okay? So maybe just two steps back. They're asking him for a sign. And he's just actually done this incredible miracle. But how often do we ask for a sign in order to believe the Lord? I don't know about you guys. Like, do you guys do that? Lord, show me. Lord, tell me. Speak to me. And I won't, I'm not willing to believe until I've seen the sign. We do that, right? We do that. Some Lord speak to me. And I know there's also gain. There's a, there's a balance. That's good. The Lord does speak through people and He does show us things. But there's like, we, our, our first point of call is, Lord, show me. I'm not going to believe. Well, I think it should be, I'm going to believe. Will He confirm it, maybe? And it, we do the same thing. We do. We look at it through this very physical, temporal lens. And Jesus keeps lifting their eyes up. And it keeps getting more and more offensive towards them. So then they say, then he says for the first time, he says to them, I'm the bread of life. And um, it's very interesting, their response is they grumble. Now they don't understand it. They don't hear what he's saying. They, don't, they don't, can't see what he's saying, actually. And their response to him saying, I'm the bread of life, is they begin to grumble, actually. And it's quite interesting, because he says it again. So, I mean, papers here are going to fly away. He says it the first time. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then a couple of, and then he tells, he pretty much tells them, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And then it says, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread of life. Because they knew who he was. They knew that he was, he was Joseph and Mary's son. There was a familiarity there. And it's like, who's this guy? He's claiming to be the bread of life, but we actually know him. Like, and they begin to grumble. Jesus hears that they're grumbling, sees it, and uh, 
Again, he says to them in verse 48, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. Now he's gone a little bit further. He's gone, not just said, I'm the bread. He says, the bread is my flesh. And now they begin to dispute amongst each other. Now they've gone from grumbling to arguing. <laughs> it's interesting. He said the same thing, and he's starting to tighten the screws a little bit, and now they're getting a little bit more offended, actually. Then he says it again. He says, Truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I can, I can imagine at this point he's lost them. They're, like, they're freaking out now because this is highly, highly offensive. And Jesus, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he was. I, I would imagine his demeanor at the time. I wonder, he knows what's going on in their heads. And he's just, he's just tightening the screws. Every time he says it, he says it a little bit deeper, a little bit more offensive, a little bit more hectic. And he's, he's not changing what he's saying. He's just digging it in a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then they, the guys, they've they had it. They, they're up, up to here now. They can't see what he's saying. And he says, then it says this, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. And then Jesus says this. He says this. He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And I think in that, those two sentences to me, Jesus actually explains to them what he's just done. He says, guys, I'm, I'm speaking in the spirit. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about these physical things. The flesh is death. I'm talking about the spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing beyond those things. And actually, he's explaining, he's just broken it down for them. He's just told them, I'm not talking about the physical eating of my flesh and drinking of my blood. I'm talking about things of the spirit. But by that point, they've already hardened their hearts, actually. By that point, they're so freaked out, they've hardened their hearts. And often, it says down this in verse 66, and after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. That's interesting, eh? Many of his disciples turned back and walked. There was something in their hearts that had hardened, and they didn't, they couldn't see what he was saying. And they actually turned around and they left. And then what does Jesus do? He turns to the twelve. He's put, put twelve. <laughs> and he says to them, And you? What are you guys going to do? And they look at him and they say, Where else do we go? You have the words of life. And it's like, there, for me, just reading that and meditating on it and on it and on it more and more and more, there's something that it began to speak to me in, in many ways of how we actually, as people come to the Lord, he, He's the truth and He's the gospel. The gospel. And I think it's twofold this offense. Because it's a very offensive that, that. That word there, if you don't understand it, that eating of his flesh and drinking is very offensive to the Jews at the time. And unless they're hearing it, they be, they're being offended. And I think the offense is this, it's, and it's twofold actually. I think offense happens 
I think we as believers get offended sometimes when we're confronted with truth. Because that's truth. Jesus is telling you it's truth. And I think also unbelievers and those that don't know Jesus also get, con- also get offended with this. The gospel can be offensive. But there's something of when you get a f- confronted with the truth, it's a confrontation, right? And it's not, it's the, it's the truth that's offensive. It's not us. We, we shouldn't be offensive. Jesus is the rock of offense, not us. And I want to maybe, I want to just look at that because I think there's something in the way we respond as people. Because Jesus, Jesus has come to set us free, not make us comfortable. That makes sense? Jesus has come to set us free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free, not for comfort. And there's something in, in the way we live our lives that we need to keep pointing people towards Jesus. We need to keep pointing people beyond the physical, beyond the practical, beyond these answers to that answer. Because our hope is in Jesus. Not in us. Not in our answered situation. Not in our answered problem. And I, I think that was, that was what the Lord is wanting, was wanting to say to us. He said, guys, we can get caught up in this and trying to fix problems and trying to get answers and trying to mend things and make things work. But there's more. There's more. I'm pointing you straight past those things. And when our hearts are already annoyed, uncomfortable, feeling a little bit, eh, that is offensive. Because we want an answer to our problem. We don't want to hear yet, Jesus is the answer to your problem. Because we can't actually find Jesus in our problem then. And I think that is something, as, as believers, that the Lord is saying to us. He's saying, how do we respond? So, I thought of an example. You know, let me, maybe before I do this, it says, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, 1 verse 6. This is quite an interesting scripture. Since you became imitators of us and of the Lord, in spite of the severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Despite the severe suffering, one of the other translations says a message that brought suffering. The Holy Spirit, this, and there's something that is quite offensive, actually. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that there's... A difficult path possibly set ahead of me if I'm set my course towards Jesus. That's quite offensive. So in my natural flesh, my natural response to that is, nah. What about you guys? I don't like to be uncomfortable. Do you guys like being uncomfortable? Are you sure? I'm not convinced. <laughs> you know, and I think there's something of that in the Lord. Like there's a truth that when we are confronted with the truth, we can, there are ways we can respond. And maybe there's a story, uh, this story I can share. There was a, oh, goodness. You guys always know that I use examples with boats. <laughs> Another one. I actually don't want to use them anymore because I feel like, <laughs> but it's always a boat with me. You know that. It's like, oh. So if you guys are visiting, I've got a serious um, love for boats. <laughs> and everybody here knows me and knows that. And the Lord often speaks to me through situations with boats. And again, this was one. So I was thinking of this, of this example. So a good couple of years ago, 
I was, uh, and some of you may have even heard the story. I was uh, considering getting a boat, okay? And my wife at the time, well, not, she wasn't my wife at the time. At the time, my wife, sorry. <laughs> they could have, sorry. My wife at the time said to me, she felt it was an idol in my life. And uh, obviously being an idol in my life, I didn't think that. <laughs> and I was like, no, man, it's not. You just like don't want a boat and this and that and whatever. Anyway, so we, um, we, did, we didn't have kids yet, eh? We didn't have kids yet. So yes, it was about seven, seven years ago, if not even longer. So we're sitting, one night we have two of our friends around for, for dinner. And we, I think, no, I don't know, we were playing board games or something. We were just, we were playing settlers of Catan. So the four of us are sitting around the table, me, Margo, and the guy's name, one guy's name's Yaku, and the other one's Rulof. Rulof's in Stellenbosch, and Yaku's in, in uh, Mossel Bay still. And uh, so Margo says to me, well, you know, we talk about accountability and living in the light and these things, and blind spots and all these things, like, let's ask your friends what they think. Now, they, these guys know me, they're good friends, they're probably my best friends, and they know me well. So I put it on the table and I said, okay, guys, this is the situation. What do you guys think? And uh, the response is, they look at me, they look at Margo, they look at me again, and they go, I think it's an idol <laughs> And I was like, I was like, like stumbling over my words. First of all, I start grumbling. I'm like, then I'm like start trying to justify and argue and dispute with them why they're wrong and why I'm right and why I should get this boat. And luckily I didn't turn away because I knew deep down in my heart that they were probably right. And I've been around long enough in, submitted to friends and leadership long enough to know that I do have blind spots and sometimes I don't see them. When everyone is saying, Ross, go left, and I'm saying, no, go right, probably we should probably be going left. And, and in that moment, I just, I still didn't see it, and I couldn't, I didn't agree with them, but I yielded. I didn't turn away, at least. Okay? Anyway, Margaret, much to my wife's joy. So, I go to bed that evening, and um, I wake up. I, don't know if, I couldn't remember if I had a dream or if I just woke up and the Lord spoke to me. But the Lord clearly spoke to me. And he said, Ross, you dodged a bullet. If you had, turned, if you had not listened to them, and he almost gave me a glimpse of, of, of the future, or that course would have taken me. And he said, Ross, that was a war. Like it may seem like a silly, stupid thing. One little thing. But he said, Ross, that was actually a watershed moment in your life. If you hadn't chosen well, it would have taken you completely down a different road. And I was like, goodness, in hindsight, okay, thank you, Lord, for showing me. But in that moment, I didn't know that. In that moment, I just, I just yielded because I knew it was probably the right thing to do. But if I hadn't, if I'd hardened my heart and I had walked in a different direction there, I would have, I don't know, like these guys walked away from Jesus. I could have walked away from the things he had for my life. I could have walked away out of the destiny they had for me. I don't, I don't know how extreme that could have gone. But that's not the point of what I'm saying. The point is that at first I grumbled, then I disputed, and thank goodness I turned. I didn't turn away from him, I turned to him, and I let go. And I think that we do the same thing too as people. When people, when we're confronted with truth in our lives, 
we're confronted with the situational things when friends speak into our lives, when, when the truth, when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes and speaks into our life, we go, uh-uh, I don't want to hear that. And then we try and justify our position because it's offensive. And as in Scripture, it also says a fortified man is like, oh, sorry, an offended man is like a fortified city. So you begin to fortify a position and build up reasons why I'm okay in the place I'm in, why I can do these things, why I'm there, and then no one can break through those walls in your heart. And I was like, I think we do that sometimes. And God's speaking to us through this. He's saying, choose how you want to respond. Choose. You, as an individual, have a choice to respond to him differently. To be like the 12, where we don't understand sometimes. We can't see the woods for the trees. or We're just like, I don't know, Lord, but where else do I go? Because you've got the words of life. I don't know. I can't give you the physical answer. I can't work out your problems for you. I can't fix your problems for you. Only he can. And even if he doesn't, he will give you enough grace for your current situation. And that's sometimes the hardest thing to hear because you want to get out of your situation. To remain in it sucks. But God. Huh? And he is sufficient in it. And actually, then we begin to find joy in our suffering. I spoke to, was speaking to Brian yesterday about something. And he, I mean, do you mind if it's just about, you, I mean, they had COVID a couple of weeks ago. And it was hectic for them. Like, it was a dark place. And it was really hectic. Brian was very, very sick. But actually, through COVID, he's come closer to Jesus. He's like, we had an amazing conversation yesterday. And he's like, I actually, I, God spoke to me about some incredible things. So through his suffering, he can rejoice because he's been brought closer to Jesus in these things, actually. How cool is that? That actually we can rejoice in our suffering. We can rejoice in this. It's not what he wanted. He obviously wouldn't have wanted to get COVID. But God, in that moment, drew him closer to him. He could have hardened his heart and grumbled and disputed and turned away. I'm not saying turn away, from, but you know what I'm saying. But he didn't. Maybe he grumbled a bit at first, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something in the response to the Lord here. And then I think the other... The, uh, so how do we respond? I think we can respond. I think as I'm saying these things, maybe God's just... I mean, he's already been speaking in worship. Maybe he's just putting his finger on things in your heart. And maybe you just need to surrender them to him. And go, Lord, actually, I don't get it. I don't see why. I don't see how. I'm tired of trying to fix it and get out of the situation. I give up. I break the alabaster jaw on you and I, I surrender. I sacrifice. I'm Lord. I, I don't know. And I think that's a good place to be in, actually. We don't have to understand everything all the time. And then I was thinking, you know, to, to somebody that doesn't know Jesus or hasn't ever been introduced to Jesus, the gospel, this truth, is also quite offensive. Actually, I was thinking, like, imagine you just living a life and you think you're living a good life and you think you, I mean, most people believe in a higher being, right? Most people. I mean, so there's some, we do get some atheists, some people that don't believe in anything. But most people believe in something. Now, the thing is, they kind of figure out their own theology and they think, okay, cool, if I live a good life, I'm going to land up in a good place, you know? But that's, unfortunately, the 
this is where the truth gets offensive. And if you're sitting here and you think that, here comes a flaming ball of truth. <laughs> that, that's not going to help. That's not going to get you to heaven. Jesus is what gets you to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the only way to the Father, that no one comes to the Father except through me. And now that's quite exclusive and quite offensive, actually. I've, I've actually realized, you know, we live in Musenberg. Musenberg is the capital of liberalism in, South Africa, in Cape Town. I don't know what it is. It's, it's super weird. It's super spiritual. There's all sorts of things going on there in all sorts of different... Like, it's just weird. And a lot of new age, a lot of everything. And I've actually realized that people don't have a problem with Christians. They don't, they don't find that offensive. They like... Even Jesus, like, cool, cool, cool. But as soon as you say Jesus is the only way, whoa, whoa, that's exclusive. When they want to be inclusive. And it's like, hang on a second. It's like, you're missing the point here. That's, that's why. It's Jesus died on the cross for us. And unless we accept that, unless we, you see, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing, our right, and righteousness is maybe a big word, our right standing before the Lord does not exist. There's nothing we can do to, to be in right standing before him. It's Jesus that's in right standing before him. And when Jesus died on the cross, we took off our mantle of sin and we put on his mantle, his cloak of righteousness. And now when God sees us, he sees Jesus actually. That's the truth. That's the gospel. That's the incredible truth. And until we get that, you see, if you're not hearing that and it's offensive towards you, you can choose now turn and walk away, or you can choose to, I don't quite understand it, but I, I accept that actually. And we're going to break bread together. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as that, if you don't understand it, if you haven't, if you're not actually ready to partake in Him, you can't actually, you shouldn't. I'm not saying you can't, because, but you shouldn't be breaking bread with us. And that's offensive, because I've just told you you shouldn't be doing something. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, why don't you put that up quickly? Am I making sense? That's following me. Or I received this from the Lord. Um, he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. So we're going to do, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's what we're going to do just now. We're going to do this in remembrance of him. Same way he took the cup. Okay, go next one. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body, the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I actually, there, just want to stop right there. Let a person examine himself. And I think each of us, we need to ask ourselves those questions. We need to examine our hearts. Are we actually partaking of Jesus in our lives right now? Or if there's unforgiveness in our hearts, if there's burdenness in our heart, we're not actually... We're not actually partaking of Jesus. We, do we even believe in Jesus? And I want to, before we break bread, I actually want to give 
you guys an opportunity that if what I've been saying has brought you to a point that you've actually realized you've got to make a decision, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision. Because that's what the kingdom's about. That's actually why we're all here. If one person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior this morning, all heaven gets up and rejoices. Amen. That's like, it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. It's the most important day of your life. People say, other than getting born, I'd say it's probably more important than getting born because if you didn't get born, you'd just be with him anyway. <laughs> so before we break bread, like, I want to give you an opportunity. If you haven't asked you, no, if you haven't understood that, if, you, if you've been trying to get there on your own and trying to work things out and hoping that because I've been a pretty good person that I'm going to be okay, I'm going to land up there, and, and this truth has all of a sudden dawned on you that actually that's not, gonna, that's, that's not the way it works. I want to ask you this morning, invite you to, to put off, to take off the robe of what you've been trying to do and to actually put on Jesus. Because that's what he wants. And that's why he died on the cross. For you and for me. And I know it feels sometimes like a... A scary moment but it's not it's a joyful moment it's, it's, it's an amazing moment so I want to before we break bread together because we're going to because the bread that he was talking about uh, being the bread of life it's this bread as we break it we remember him remember what he did on the cross for us I want to give if there is anybody here I want to give you an opportunity to respond and I'd love to pray with you I'd love for us to pray with you because actually what you're doing is you're making a decision to step out of this performing, trying to be a good person, trying and actually going nowhere to stepping into the kingdom and going, actually, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I've done nothing. And then God works it out in us by the Holy Spirit, adds us to family, we get discipled, and the journey begins. It's the first day of a new journey. And it's a very exciting one. So maybe we all close our eyes. We all close our eyes. And if that's you this morning, and as I've been speaking, you realize, actually, as you've examined yourself, you realize, yeah, I, can't, I probably can't be doing this because I don't even believe this. And you want to. And this been a little bit of a pushback against your heart and you realize you're standing on the cliff, cliff of decision right now, you need to make it, I want to encourage you, Jesus is calling you, he's calling you, he's calling you by name, the Bible says he desires all men to be saved, he desires all of humanity to be saved, so if that's you this morning and you've never actually responded to the gospel, you've never made that commitment to Jesus, you've never recognize that you are born into sin and that you are actually sinful and you've never received his grace you've never received that gift I want to offer that to you this morning he wants to offer that to you this morning but you've got to, you've got to respond the Bible says if you confess me before man I'll confess you before the Father and for us to see it so we can get around you and we can pray with you and we can encourage you because God is adding, He is adding to His church. He is building His church.
So while all our eyes are closed this morning, because I can promise you now that everyone here that is here is praying that somebody is going to respond, that somebody here this morning maybe doesn't know Jesus and is going to respond. Everyone here is in your corner right now. I promise you. They're rooting for you. They're going, if that's you, come on, do it. And I know it's, it's scary, but I want to encourage you. I want to ask you, won't you raise your hand? If that is you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never made that choice and that commitment, all our hearts are closed and eyes are bowed. If that's you and you want to respond, if something in your heart is going, that's me, that's me, I want to respond, I want to encourage you, just do it. Let's do it. Right. That's cool. I'm trusting that everyone here knows Jesus. That's accepted him as Lord and Savior. And if it was, if you were sitting there and you're going, I, I wonder if this is speaking to my heart, but I just, I just feel like I can't. I, I really want, I'll ask you, please speak to somebody this morning. Speak to somebody that you came with or come and speak to me or just come and speak to us because God, he wants to start a journey with you. He wants to walk a road with you. You know, just, if you have committed your life to Jesus, if you have made the decision, but you realize that you haven't been walking closely with him, and you, and you know that's you, I also want to encourage you just to, just to respond that we can get around you and pray for you. If you feel like you're recommitting your life to Jesus, if you're just wanting to resurrender it to him, I want to encourage you. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you, you're always taking us deeper into relationship with you, Jesus. Thank you that you desire relationship with us. And as we surrender our lives to you, Lord, we, we just draw nearer and nearer to you. Lord, and the closer to you we get, the Lord, we realize that actually we, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of anything. But because of your goodness and your kindness and your love, we get to have fellowship with you. Incredible truth. So Lord, as we break bread this morning as a family, as a congregation, as a community, Lord, Pray, Lord, that as we remember you, as we fellowship together, that you would, your spirit would just be poured out upon us, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we would be a people that reflect your kingdom, Lord. Would you come and speak to our hearts, even as we, as we do this, Lord?
Jesus' name. Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you guys, there's two tables, at the, there's two tables, there's one in the front.